Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the English Happy Hour Podcast. In today's show, we talk with our good buddy, Dave Rush. Dave has a great long background in the sport of fishing, and uh, he's a really interesting dude, so I think you guys will really enjoy hearing from him. Uh, some of the stuff we talk about, some of the first live stream bass fishing events ever. Um, overpowered and undersized bass boats. Some interesting experience Dave has had on the road, and we all laugh about a couple funny wedding stories that he tells later in the show. So, hope you guys enjoy, and thanks again for tuning in. But before we go any further, I want to tell you guys that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires, the official tire of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. I've personally trusted the Hercules TerraTrack AT2 and Power ST2 to get my truck and boat trailer to every event around the country safely for the past two years. These tires are long-lasting, quiet on the road, and most importantly, incredibly reliable. If you're in the market for a new set of truck or trailer tires, head over to HerculesTires.com and see why these tires are such an incredible value. You can also find out more by following Hercules Tires on Facebook or Instagram at Hercules Tires. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode. This week, we are lucky enough to be joined by our buddy Dave Rush, uh, all the way on on the East Coast, actually, in South Carolina. Um, Dave's a really interesting dude. I think I think everyone's going to enjoy this podcast. Um, really easy guy to talk to, and he's got he's got a ton of experiences in fishing and the outdoors. But uh, before we uh, swing it over to the other guys, Dave, let's let's bring you in right off the bat, man. What what's going on your way this week? Man, nothing much. Enjoying this warm weather. Uh, hoping to get out on the lake pretty soon here, man. We've been, um, you know, busted out of some cold temperatures here. Temperatures are uh, rising in the 70s. Starting to hear good things about Santee Cooper, which I'm about 30 minutes away from, and also right here on the Cooper River, which you guys are familiar with from uh, tournament experiences in the past. I don't know if you made that crazy run over there when you were here, Josh, but I know a lot of guys did. Yeah, regretfully, I didn't, dude, and um, I, I wish I would have uh, made that run, but we, we've got to talk a little bit about Santee Cooper. I don't think uh, at some point well, uh, while we talked this morning, because I don't think we've ever really talked about that lake on the show, partly because none of us have ever been there, but uh, that's a historic bass fishery, and I know it's it's a wild one, man, so let's let's put, uh, let's put write that down and make sure that we, that we hit that a little bit before uh, this is over. Yeah, for sure, man. It is a uh, definitely a wild one. A lot of history on that lake. Uh, a lot of uh, you know record-setting catches. Um, a lot of historical data that comes off of that lake as far as bass fishing is concerned, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. It's it's a it's literally kind of a jungle down there, and um, something I don't know anything about. So it's got Nick's interest. I can tell he's yeah he's interested. Um, he's planning a trip right now. That's right. Yeah, I'm on Travelocity. <laughs> <laughs> multitasking level I don't know expert if you heard about his trip last week dave uh but nick went down to uh he took a bus 12 hours into the heart of mexico and went fishing with a uh, local guide on a <laughs> on a lake in obregon uh and and somehow to tell about it <laughs> yeah it was an amazing trip but um, a Santee Cooper trip would be mild compared to some of his trips that he takes. Yeah, that's an insane trip, man. You don't hear people doing that too much uh, anymore. That, that's pretty cool. How did that go? 
Yeah, thanks, man. Oh, it was it was wonderful. I had such a good time. If I close my eyes and zone out all the chaos in my life, I just envision myself back there. It was it was that good, man. But I will tell you, you know, Oviachik is a fun name to say, but Santee Cooper is way more fun to say. So I think I do need to plan an expedition out there so I can tell everyone I'm at Santee Cooper because that's way more exciting. It's time to come, man. I'd say I'd say next two or three weeks would be prime time for sure. All right, sweet. Well, with any luck, I will, uh, you know, my wife will completely disown me for being gone so much, and then I can just crash on your couch. Yeah, man, it's always open. <laughs> man. Doesn't, doesn't uh, Santee Cooper fish pretty tough throughout the year except for in the spring? Is that kind of the – that's all I've ever heard about that lake. Is that true? I think it, it's kind of one of those things that – it's a destination lake for sure. And there's so much visible cover. I mean, the, you know, the banks are lined with cypress trees, lily pads, all sorts of vegetation. And people are drawn to that. Um, it definitely fishes easier in the spring because all of the fish, you know, tend to move up shallow like they do all around the country, but you can definitely catch, you know, really good stringers of fish at Santee Cooper throughout the year. If you're willing to put in the time and effort to do it, it's, it's really a good structure lake. Um, Lots of stump fields, drains. A lot of guys spend a uh, spend an immense amount of time sinking brush piles as well. Uh, so those guys that are willing to put in the work and get out there are, um, you know, rewarded throughout the year. And and another thing that's really come along, you know, in the last couple of years, I mean, there's guys that are they're really having great days out there with forward-facing sonar technology. Um, you know. You look at a guy like Patrick Walters, who is you know arguably one of the hottest young anglers on on tour this year i was having this conversation the other day with a couple of people um you know he cut his teeth on santee cooper and i would say right now that you would probably put patrick in the category of being probably one of the top guys with the the forward facing sonar and i would say in shallow water situations and i haven't talked to patrick about it but my theory is that he probably spent a lot of time on Santee Cooper during the off season trying to figure out how to utilize that normal live scope that he's using in shallow water situations. And I think you're seeing it pay off already. It's a totally offshore fishing is offshore fishing, but uh, you're right, dude. Like the shallow offshore fishing is different. And uh, it's, having experience doing that and confidence doing that is, is different than having confidence in 20 plus feet. It's really, uh, we talked about it a lot. Like, uh, last week, I guess I was talking about you and how I, uh, I had struggled out there and, um, it's, it's just different, man. It's, and you is very similar where a lot of that offshore fishing is in like five to 10 feet. Whereas, um, you know, offshore fishing and a lot of the rest of the country, you kind of can get up on top of the fish and uh, you're utilizing your graphs a little differently. So that's a, that's interesting, man. That's, and I'd say the Southeast is like the ultimate region for, uh, for that shallow offshore bite. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, you have a variety of things here also, Josh, the guy goes up to Lake Hartwell, wins an open up there, um, you know, obviously utilizing it around those cane piles and things like that. And you can come down to Santee Cooper, utilize it in, in a shallow, like lowland type reservoir, like you said, similar to Eufaula. And then you can go over to Cooper River and you can utilize it in, in grass scenarios, grass edges, you know, hydrilla clumps, you know, things like that. It's kind of a, a great training ground um, for live scope, if you think about it. Seriously. Yeah, that's cool. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so, dude, before we go too too deep, uh, I, I want to like start uh, start talking with you about some of the the days, uh, your dealership days, the early days when you were a kid in bass fishing. And uh, to set that up, you're going to get a kick out of this. To our listeners, will get a kick out of this. That know Nick. Um, Nick sent us a picture, uh, Rob and I, that earlier this week of an absolute <laughs> hunk of crap boat. And uh, oh, I'm going to stop you right there. Rob has reduced in my friendship <laughs> list like 30%, dude. He's like, he's like number six now. Just wait, just oh wait gosh. to hear this. Uh, Nick has like a, he's got an obsession with buying like old things that don't run. And um, his, he's, got a, he's got a nice boat right now. He's got a Nitro Z8 with a pro XS on it. And, uh, he's finally got that thing kind of dialed in. He's, he's gone fishing maybe 10 trips in a row and not had any problems. So it's time to start looking at stuff that will give him problems. And, uh, he sends us a picture of like, uh, what was it? Uh, 87, 89, 89, 89 starfire skeeter, probably dry rotted. <laughs> He's like, what do you guys think about this? He he liked the decals on it, so he's he this. It wasn't even a good deal. It was like five grand for this thing. Bro, uh, COVID changed the game on everything price wise. Doesn't matter if you're looking at toothpaste, toilet paper, or forty year old bass boats. Everything is doubled. <laughs> yeah, very that's true. That's amazing. He wanted he wanted to buy this thing, and uh, and Rob and I are both kind of texting him back, just like you know, basically that we lightly good idea. Uh, in a nice way but then I get on the phone with Rob and I'm like hey how about that boat that uh, Nick was looking at and Rob goes uh, he's like dude if he if he buys that boat I'm literally not gonna want to go fishing with him on that thing like it's it's gonna make me not want to go fishing with him if it's in that boat Dave Dave do you know people I'm of course you do you have maybe their friends acquaintances whatever where you're like in their company and they're like super friendly to you, maybe occasionally talk a little crap about someone who's not there, but super friendly to you. I just realized after like 10 years of friendships with these jackasses, that that's what they are, right? Yeah, like, man. Can you throw me a bone on that? I think all my friends are like that. Every day I'm thinking the same thing. Somebody's talking bad about me right now. Right? Dude, you, you'd feel it. Interesting, man. I actually had a, a buddy that fished in um, – one of the early bass clubs I was in that had the Skeeter Starfire. And he, it, it was so rare, man, because he had the old school Suzuki that was oh, like wow. a gold color. And it was like the real narrow block, the super high engine. <laughs> and that Starfire, I mean, it couldn't have been, it was totally overpowered. I mean, it was like 16 something feet. And that thing was, I don't know what it was, maybe like a 200 or something. But <laughs> That's I mean, so that scary. Thing, oh, it was so scary. Because those things are tiny, dude, and it was it was gold. It was it was awesome. I mean, and yeah, he, I don't. He he had it for a long time, man. I mean, I'm talking like he still had it in the 2000s yeah. for sure. <laughs> and he bought it new, and I mean, it was oh. it was pretty clean, man. He, I might have to see if I can look at, look for it, see if see if I can track it down for you. You can, you can pick it up when you come out to Santee. Well, be careful, Perfect. he will buy it. Dude. That will be my Santee Cooper boat. I'll, the, I'll park it in your backyard. The yeah, problem is Nick. Cooper boat. <laughs> Nick said he wanted to hang a four stroke on it and put a put an Altrex out front. I'm like, the Altrex will rip the front of the boat off, and the four stroke will sink it. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Rob told me you better bring a tow rope this week because I told him I bought it and I like I took the edit feature on my phone and drew like a little like stick figure sitting on the back deck and he said bring a tow rope but I thought he wanted to go tubing I thought he was ready to like have me tow him around Saguaro you know I'm catching giants and he's just sitting back there drinking like natty ice or something no you need a tow you need a tow rope and a can of uh, carburetor cleaner to start that thing. I'm thinking some like real tight fitting Wrangler jeans, some white New Balances, you know, like an OG yeah. trucker cap. I'm ready. I've always been a huge proponent of that, like a, a throwback tournament where you get a group of guys together that are into those older boats, and, and it's just you know you're you're stuck at that that level of equipment like a year or whatever. I think that'd be pretty cool. Or even get a bunch a of idea. bunch of the top level guys and you know round up. 10 or 15 of those boats, a small tournament. Be like, hey, this is what you got. Go get after it. That would be a pretty cool novelty event. Here's here's my deal, though. Like, I don't want people to feel like we're bagging on them if that's all they can afford. I'm totally down with that. But Nick already has a boat that works perfectly. Why would you buy one? That's the problem, dude. Yeah. Right, right. He doesn't need that boat at all. Like, he's he's just had 10 successful straight days on the water. (laughs) You can tell I get bored easily. There's a lot of guys that, I mean, in all honesty, it's, you know, of course, nothing like the classic car scene, but there's a lot of guys that are really, I feel like getting back into that, like getting older boats, storing them, and, um, you know, for nostalgia reasons, but a lot of guys just like fishing out of those older boats. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that at all. No. I think bass boat prices have, have uh, increased that a lot. Sure. So it's people are, you know, putting nice, nice equipment on older boats and they become a pretty good boat. Essentially that's what I have. My boat's 12 years old with good equipment on it. So. Yeah, and getting sure. out on the water is all that matters, right? Like that's, yeah. that's truly what it is, man. So Dave, dude, to bring it back to, to the, the dealership days, can you talk a little bit about like what it was like when you first, when you were a kid and you were getting into the fishing scene, like, uh, you know, what, what, what the landscape looked like for you? Cause it sounds like there were some pretty interesting days early on. Yeah, man. So, I mean, like, you know, a lot of people, um, my dad got me into fishing and, you know, I was probably, you know, as soon as he could take me, we were fishing. He was an avid bass fisherman and tournament fisherman as well. Uh, mostly on club level and regional level, things like that. Um, I'd say probably mid eighties, my parents purchased a Marine dealership here in uh, Somerville, South Carolina. So I was around that all the time and they were a full service dealership, uh, that pretty much, um, focused on bass boats. Um, early brands they had, they had Hydrosports. You guys remember Hydrosports? Yeah. Um, they were one of the first dealers. They did the crop, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So um, they had a uh, hydrosport and then I remember vividly, man, when, um, so Earl Bentz, uh, when he started Stratus, I remember they were one of the first dealerships in the country to get Stratus. So it was kind of around those times, man, but it was really cool. Um, you know, being a little kid growing up around that, cause I'd be at the dealership every day, you know, washing boats or cutting grass or taking out trash or whatever the case is. And they had a cool little tackle shop in there as well. But um, just being around all that, man, you know, really, you know, kind of just lit even more of a fire under me as far as being involved in fishing. Um, and I guess, you know, now that I think back on it, probably had an influence on 
me getting involved in the industry side of things because you know I, I got an opportunity to go to a lot of boat shows, go you know pick up a lot of boats with some of the guys from the dealerships and different boat factories, things like that. I kind of see behind the scenes stuff when you know I was a really young kid, so probably didn't realize at the time how much influence it had on me. But um, a lot of cool things there, man. You know, you guys still do pre-COVID, obviously a lot of in-store and dealership appearances and things like that. You know, there were there were guys kind of doing that circuit at that time that are, you know, were icons even at the time. But now that you look back on it, it's like, you know, legends um, like Jimmy Houston, Roland Martin, Larry Nixon. I mean, there was a lot of those guys that would come through, you know, when they'd be at Santee Cooper for a, a tournament or whatever and doing in-store. Um, so it was really cool to get to meet those guys kind of behind the scenes, too. That's cool, dude. Yeah, you and you were like right in the in the heart of bass fishing country during one of the most you know influential times of bass fishing ever. So like, yeah, what a dream job, kind of a dream scenario for a kid that's into bass fishing. Dick, you got a question, man? I was just, yeah, a little comment. Like that's cool, Dave, that you grew up in a family business like that that ended up taking you you know into your adult professional life into that in industry the same as that, you know, growing up, my folks had like a, a little dude ranch in Wyoming for like the, the pivotal years of my childhood from like fifth grade until I was a junior in high school. And you, you say like cutting grass and like picking up trash, like, dude, I was washing dishes in our restaurant and like feeding horses. And it's cool, man. Like I look back on those memories. And at the time I thought it was awesome just because like I was around people doing cool things. But then I look back on that and like, that's cool that you have a story similar to that. I think that really had a huge impact on who I became later on. And that's cool, man. I wish more people had parents that had stuff like that because you just, you learn stuff, man. Like there's just so much like parenting that happens around a business that I don't think you get in all, you know, scenarios growing up. So that's cool, man. I admire that. Yeah, for sure. I don't think I ever, um, got a paycheck i think everything yeah. was, was spent inside the little tackle shop there and i think back on some of the stuff that was in that tackle shop and i was like oh my gosh like i wish i had all that stuff i mean there was oh, stuff yeah. in there just like i remember like i can vividly remember like walls in the tackle shop like old you know old bagley's especially because you know wiggle warts and things like that were not big here in the southeast but bagley's and square bills and things certainly were man i mean nice. there was walls full of that stuff and you just think back oh, man i wish i had all that stuff in the package and you know you could just clean up on ebay or just have <laughs> yeah. the greatest collection ever <laughs> but um yeah it was definitely cool times um for sure but it, it it definitely had an influence on on me later on in life i don't think directly at the time um you know that I, I didn't go directly into the fishing industry for sure uh, but i think it gave me uh, more of a background and grounding in it than I realized for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool, man. Like it's uh there's something to it for sure. Hey, do you, are there any funny stories from the, uh, so, from some of the pros like back in that era, dude, like, Hey, how were the, uh, how were the fishermen in that era compared to now? Like, is it kind of, is it, is it kind of the same or, or were things really different? Uh, you know, I, I think it was, it was, Somewhat the same, but different. I, I think you know one of the bigger things you can you can say for sure is people did not have in in some ways people did have more access to them, you know, but, but in other ways they didn't. I, I think those guys now that you have 
social media. There's a lot more availability to see these guys. I mean, back then, I mean, you know, you saw those guys in the magazine, and if you were lucky, you know, if you had TNN, you saw Bassmaster or something on the, the Sunday fishing block, right? So those guys were not as accessible, really. I mean, it's like, you know, if, you, if it's a destination, you're going to, to see Roland Martin or Jimmy Houston. I mean, you haven't seen them on YouTube, um, you know, anytime you want to, or you're not seeing the fishing show, or you're not seeing, you know, you just didn't watch Josh Bertrand fish, you know, the, the Red Crest or whatever the case is. So I feel like it was kind of a bigger deal to see those guys in person at that time. They were, they were more kind of, legend you know icons like myths i mean you heard about them you read about them in a magazine but when you actually got to you know shake hands with them and get an autograph it, it i'm not sure that it meant more but it was different for sure dude well and in the setting too like i remember as a kid the only time i would really ever get to see like those dudes were at boat dealerships at at the the big uh the big events man it's kind of interesting but like uh I can I can remember meeting Skeet Reese and Jay Ellis and John Murray, always at uh, you know a seminar or something like that at a boat dealership for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, where was I going after that, um, dude? After so so as you start, you said you got out of fishing a little bit. Is that when you really got into music? Yeah. So I was always into music, man. I actually started kind of a sidebar story that Josh and I have talked about before. I, I started DJing when I was about 15 years old. So, you know, that was always a thing for me was music and fishing. Um, I never really got out of fishing. I would, I would kind of combine the two. So, you know, as life progressed, I started DJing more professionally, trying to make money at it. I mean, I'd be the guy, like I'd be out at a DJ gig till two in the morning, right? And, you know, come home and actually unloading all the DJ stuff and hooking up the boat to make it to the club tournament, you know, on Sunday morning or whatever. Nice. It is, right? You know, so I was just kind of kind of blending, blending both of them. But, yeah, man, um, I ended up uh, going to College of Charleston here um, and getting a degree in marketing and communication. And during that time, I was kind of supplementing my income, doing the DJ thing around Charleston. And making a little money here and there, kind of, you know, trying to pay for tournament entry fees and just, you know, tuition and rent and stuff like that. So it was kind of a mix of, of both um, for sure, man. Um, but, you know, the, the DJ thing kind of started taking off a little bit for me, um, started being able to make a little bit more money in it. And that kind of the fishing thing kind of went to the, to the wayside a little bit. I was, I was fishing, you know, as much as I could, but, I was not fishing as many tournaments and I never really had the desire necessarily or the goals to fish, you know, on a professional level or really take it to the next level. I'd fish a lot of Federation stuff, make it to like divisionals, be the state team, things like that. And was, you know, relatively successful as far as that goes, but I never really had the push to be like, Hey, I'm going to do this professionally and, and, you know, try to make a career out of it. So the, the music thing for sure, man, was um, kind of my bread and butter. Charleston was a huge and is a huge um, destination wedding city at the, at the time. So, I mean, tons of people come to Charleston to get married. So once I kind of figured out and got in that realm of determining I could make some money um, actually using the music and some of the photography and video stuff as well, 
in the wedding industry here. I was kind of concentrating on that for a while. And that, that's what I was doing um, until I actually got hooked up um, with Mark Jeffries at Basso and ended up going out and starting to cover the elites full time in 2009. Right on. Dude, uh, how many weddings do you think you – you've been to and I know you'll still do some do some photography and stuff like that at weddings and and uh I guess still music how many weddings have you been uh to over the years man so I think at the height of doing it I mean you gotta you gotta understand man these these people around here I mean it's like you know you think of a wedding like a weekend deal right like somebody's gonna get married on a Saturday or something right so there's only 52 weeks in a year so you're thinking that's as many as you can do that's not how it works around here. There's so many people trying to get married in Charleston that, you know, you, they'll start like on Wednesdays, right? It's cheaper like, during the week too. I got married on a Thursday. Right. So it's cheaper. And then, you know, <laughs> there's only so many venues and they can, they can't get them on the weekend. So I think at the height, man, I was probably doing, I think the most I did in a year was probably 70 something weddings. Wow. So, I mean, Man, I did that. I mean, pro probably over a thousand for sure, right? Dude, you had to have seen some crazy stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen some crazy stuff. The, the weirdest one I've ever done, man, and I, I guess you would call it a wedding. I get a call. It's only happened once, and I'm really surprised it only happened once. But I get a call probably, let's say the wedding was at like five o'clock or something. So, you know, you go set up this, that, and the other early. Um, that way you're not, you know, interfering with people arriving and stuff. You do a sound check. I mean, the same thing. You're just like you're prepping for a tournament, right? You got to have all your all your ducks in a row. I get a call at like one o'clock or something from a wedding planner. She's like, "Hey, um, just want to let you know, like the couple's not going to get married, but they're still going to have the reception." <laughs> so <laughs> just a I'm like. Yeah, I'm like, okay, this is cool. Like, not really, but you know, whatever. I'm, you know, I'm already planning on going. Let's just see how this goes. So get there, set up, and everything. And and the the wedding planner actually comes clean about it. She's like, hey, like, what the deal is is that the bride will not sign the prenup, and the <laughs> yeah, it comes down to the wire. Bride's not signing the prenup, and the groom is like, nope, not happening, right? Nice. So there's. There's like some parameters. She's like, she's like, all I'm saying is they just want to have a party, but just make sure you don't play any songs that mention the word love or anything like that. Oh, just, you know, no love songs, nothing, <laughs> nothing sentimental. Just keep it light. And I'm just like, okay, like, you know, I guess I can, I can roll with this, whatever. Right. And what was crazy about the whole thing is it's like, it was, you know, typical wedding stuff. I mean, some people blend, you know, the guests, but a lot of time you have like bride side, groom side, whatever. Right. And the groom side just partied all night long. It was just so happy, dude. And like the bride side, this is like morbid the whole night brought in. It was the most awkward thing ever. <laughs> dude, they probably they Go ahead, Nick. Sorry, man. The bride side's probably like, oh, this was our chance. Like, we almost tapped into, like, generational wealth. So close. I, I, I'm thinking, like, it had to be that, right? <laughs> yeah. And what, it was even more awkward, man, because they come up, and at some point during the night, they're like, hey, um, 
you know, we want to say a few things. I'm like, okay, like, I'm, this is like, you know, I wish I would have recorded this, obviously, but they come up and they just give this awkward speech about the prenup and why they're not getting married. And it's no just, way. You know, and yes, yeah, to the point where, like, you know, it's kind of like halfway during the night, man. So, like, you know, the green side is, you know, they're taking advantage of the open bar. And I mean, there's some cheers and stuff. <laughs> but like, yeah, man, that is a gold digger. We knew it. Yeah, yeah, but I mean that's one of the or probably the most awkward one I've done. But I mean, you see everything. I mean, you guys have been to weddings and get a bunch of alcohol involved. I mean, I've seen people like taken out on stretchers. (laughs) (laughs) You know, obviously overindulging a few injuries. Um, Hilarious. Yeah, I mean, you know, all kind of stuff like that, man. But it it was a good way to to make a living for a while. It was cool, man, because I could. And once we got going on this tournament coverage stuff, you guys, you know, would have the schedule put out pretty early most of the time. So I could just, you know, book the weddings around the tournament stuff. Um, you know, so I'd be, you know, booked on weddings on certain weekends. The next weekend I'd be out, you know, covering you guys doing tournament fishing. So it was really cool, man, just to be able to float between both of those worlds. Um you know, not be stuck in kind of one one vein as far as, you know, this, hey, this is your career. It's, you know, you got to go to a wedding every weekend. It's kind of like Groundhog Day, but you know, you can go do this tournament fishing thing too. Yeah. So awesome. at that point, you started traveling the country. You met Jeffries and you started doing a lot of stuff uh, for Bass Zone. And did, uh, did you jump right in uh, and start? Traveling? You traveled with uh, Rojas a lot too, didn't you? Yeah. So, the way all that came about, man, is um, I would fish uh, when the Elite Series – Elite Series started in 2006. Um, and anytime they came around, I would jump in as a co-angler, you know? Um, you know, at that time, probably was thinking more like, oh, I'm going to win money, you know, more so than learn, even though that was, you know, a good benefit of being able to jump in the boat with those guys at that time. But um, they would – Early in the Elite Series, they came to Clarks Hill quite a bit, which Clarks Hill, uh, my parents live on that lake. It's about three and a half hours for me. I grew up fishing there. So every time they would come to Clarks Hill, I would jump in on the co-angler side. It was always during the herring spawn, so it was like a perfect tournament for a co-angler, right? Because the fish would come up school, and it's not like you can, you know, it's not like you're fishing the sight fishing tournament as a co-angler. You actually have some opportunities to catch some fish or whatever. Um, so I think it was 2010, 2009 or 2010, they did away with the co-anglers and they kind of went to, you know, I, I don't even know if they called it Marshalls at that time, but it was some, some, some variation of that, man. And I signed up again. So like, you know, I've always done it. I kind of enjoy just getting up there for the week. I'm going to do it. Um, and that was actually the, uh, Cajun baby crochet, Cliff crochet's rookie year on people. Um, yeah, so I was I was observing with Davey Height, who I think Height had won. He had maybe won the year before up there or something. So it's a really good draw. Super happy about it. Um, and he was just having a rough day, man. He was running all over the place. And I don't know if you've ever been up there. That's a pretty big lake, man. So he makes this, like, crazy run, like, you know, 45-minute run from where he was during the middle of the day. And we go way up this creek, man, way up this river, which I'm really familiar with because it was actually the side of the lake that my parents lived on, right? Okay. And he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, this, this thing happens once every, you know, 
10 years. It's, you know, the conditions get right and this kind of like water willow grows, right? He's like, you know, I had some really big bites up here and it's just kind of safe. So he goes in there and he goes back in this thing. And I'm like, oh man, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever seen this. This is really cool you know, information to take in here because I fished the lake a lot. And you find like the froggiest looking like Cajun backwater in the middle of South Carolina. And there's uh, the rookie Cliff Crochet, right? And Crochet was like, I mean, he was, I think he may have even been leading at the time. It was like day two or something. I think he had a big day one or, or something. It may have been day three or something. I think it was day three, right? And he's back there frogging, of course, right? It's like when the guy first came on tour, he, that frog was just like welded in the pan. Oh, it still is, dude. Yeah, it's like, you know, he, he, he maybe he's learned a little bit to put it down, you know? But, you know, at that point in time, it was like frog or bust. Like, you know, <laughs> there's nothing else going That's down except true. frogging, right? So, um, at that time, man, I was I was a huge fan, and it still am. But um, I was a big fan of uh of bass. And, um, I don't know if you remember that stuff at that time. It's when they were doing the wide open. Uh, I'd look at show I'd watch, with Harold Allen. I'd watch every one, dude. I'd look through every photo gallery. I loved it. Yeah, so I was a huge fan of bass, man. Like I, I would just never, you know, try not to miss a, a post game show for sure. And those guys were on location uh, at the tournament. And I remember getting back to the house and turning it on that night and watching it. And they were talking about the tournament and this, that, and other. And Mark and Harold were going back and forth. And they were talking about crochet. And at that time, man, Harold and, and Matt Pangrak would go out on the water and they would call in back to Mark. And it was kind of like a call-in blog type of play-by-play -play situation. And that's how they would cover the tournament, right? So they knew where the leaders were fishing, but they didn't know where Cliff was fishing. So they gave you the opportunity to call in at that time. It was kind of like a call-in show. And I just called in as a fan, man. I was like, hey, dude, like, you know, I know where Crochet's fishing. I'd be glad to you know, go out and call you guys. I was planning on going out and watching them because it's literally like right around the corner from our parents. And Jeffries was like, sure, man, like, you know, that's cool. That'd be awesome. Like, that way we can have Harold covering the leader and have you in second or whatever, right? So I went out and did that, man, called in. And, you know, I, I thought, you know, it'd be like I'd be on the phone for like, you know, 10 minutes or something. It ended up being a couple of hours, right? Like, full morning of just like, you know, doing play by play. And I mean, at that point, man, I was just like so stoked to be able to do that, right? That's like, cool. I'm on the Bass Zone show. I'm talking to these guys. I'm, you know, watching crochet fish and he'll tell you that story man every time i see him he just he can't help himself that he lost about he ended up finishing second in that tournament to jason williamson and I, he only lost by like it, a matter of ounces dude it wasn't much at all right and we were sitting there watching him and he, he lost i mean probably a three pounder or a frog which would have sealed the deal for him. And it never fails, dude. Every time I see the guy, he's like, yeah, he's like, I remember you were watching me lose that frog fish. <laughs> like, it's this, it's uh, this, you know, emblazoned in his memory, right? Yeah. So did that, man, and, and went away in and met, you know, Mark and Matt at that time um, and Harold. And I really didn't think much of it, man. Just kind of exchanged info and stuff like that. And maybe two months later, um, Mark called me, and at that point, man, he was, you know, he had been doing it since 2006. I mean, he went out first year of the Elite Series and just decided he wanted to cover tournament bass fishing by himself. 
was down at Amistad for that first tournament and just kind of, you know, built all that stuff on built all that stuff on his own and figured it out. And he got at a point where he was he really didn't want to be on the road as much. Um, you know, he'd been doing it four years. He had Matt in place, and so gave me a call, man. It was just like, hey, what do you think about doing this full time? Would you be interested? And um, you know, at that point, man, I was like, sure, yeah, let's roll with it. So started going to uh, all the Elite Series events with Matt at that point. So Matt and I, um, 2010, man, started going to every Elite Series event and doing coverage. Um, and I think Harold, Harold was around for one more year, and then Harold uh, kind of stepped back to you in order to fish a little bit more and I think kind of semi-retire from from all that. So, yeah, that's that's the story of how I got hooked up with Basso, man. So just totally random, just was a fan. It just, you know, kind of right time, right place. That's cool. Well, dude, uh, Mark is such a trailblazer when it comes to, uh, you know, I guess fishing media like uh he his show Bass Doc Live now is like the most successful bass fishing show there is and um but but it's not like he just fired that thing up last year he's been doing it yeah for for it's 15 years of of hard work 15 plus years uh and, and you guys were like the first dudes to ever that really delight like actually live video stream an event right yeah, man. Um, I, you know, there could have been some things. You and I have talked about that, too. I mean, I think, you know, Bass had some things before that was kind of like, you know, we would always call it the butt cam. I don't know if you remember those. The what, those cam? Kind of, the, the butt cam. Because it was yeah. like, for a while, they had those cameras in the boats. And I, I would assume they were kind of early versions of POV cameras, man. I don't know what they had, but I, I think they would put them on a pedestal kind of in the back of the boat. And they would always either be there would always be the, the marshal would be in the way or it's just like, you know, you're just staring at a guy's back. Gotcha. Yeah. Year, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was the deal. But, um, yeah, man. So Mark was really big on trying to figure out how to bring live on the water action to bass fishing and not involve, um, you know, television cameras. Right. Cause I mean, obviously, you had the classic. I think it was the classic at Pittsburgh where they had it live. I think that's kind of one of the first ones I remember that they had some live coverage on ESPN. So it's not like bass fishing had not been seen live before. But it, it, as far as I know, it had not been seen live on the internet. Um, so he was kind of a mad scientist in that regard, man. I mean, he he had a deal, which I, the best way to describe it now, I mean, it seems so simple now. It's probably like the equivalent of you went out on the water and you know you you facetime rob right that was kind of the technology back then but we you know he'd send matt and i out man and we had had you know like a verizon uh card and a tough book laptop and this little cheap video camera that had like a firewire port i don't know if you guys are familiar with fire <laughs> no wire, idea no clue dude so yeah it's just like i mean imagine just like trying to do stuff via bluetooth but it's just just this cord, you know, that attaches to a laptop and attaches to, so basically like an HDMI cable, right? But like an early version. Okay. So, you know, we tested, 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 man. And, and the opportunity finally presented itself. It was, uh, 2011 at the Harris chain. Um, Shaw Grigsby and Grant Goldbeck were kind of in this like 
top of the leaderboard duel of who was going to win. They were just, you know, far and above everybody else. And it just so happened that we find out that they are fishing. Both of them are fishing in the same little backwater pond, right? And Mark does all this research, you know, is up all night trying to figure this stuff out. And come to find out, I think he's like, I know we actually used Google Earth at that point or something of that nature, right? So that was pretty early to use that stuff too, right? Yeah. 2011. So he uses Google Earth or whatever it was at the time to figure out where this place is. And we determine it's in this residential neighborhood. So it's like midnight, dude. We drive over to this neighborhood. You're scouting it out. (laughs) <laughs> we're scouting it out because you know, that's one thing, man. And, you know, you learn so much about from being around Harold Allen, really, man. It's, you know, early on, man, I learned very quickly from Harold. And that's why, I mean, obviously his fishing career and pedigree in the industry, everybody respected him, right? But a lot of that, as far as the Elite Series guys at that point, they respected Harold. You know, he was a tournament fisherman. So, he gave those guys their space. And that's one thing I learned early on, man, was like, you know, when you're covering you guys out on the water, is this to be, you know, super respectful, um, you know, even maybe to a fault as far as, you know, giving you guys ample space and, and communicating. And, you know, sure, everybody wants to get, you know, a great video and a great camera shot or whatever the case is, but making sure that you're not interfering with anything that you guys are doing on the water, because, I mean, that's your job and that's your livelihood, right? That's cool. So, yeah. So, you know, the, there was no way, even the gone in there, there was no way we were going to go in that backwater pond with a boat, right? So yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Good point. It's just not, yeah. Like, it's just, you know, even, even the bass photographers at that time, I think, were setting up like kind of at the mouth of the thing, shooting with big lenses and things like that. So, we go over at like midnight, man, and scout this thing out. And I mean, we're creeping around people's yards in the middle of the <laughs> Unbelievable. Night. Probably not a good, you know, right? Not a good look. And it just so happens, man, it's kind of like this. I'm assuming, you know, Florida's full of those like, you know, 55 and over communities, things like that. So I think if I remember correctly, man, it's even one of those situations where Mark had to like talk his way into the gate or something. Like, you know, you know, oh, my grandma lives here. Or oh, my goodness. <laughs> right? Like, come up with a fake address or, or something like that, man. So, we get in there, and it, it just so happens, man, that there's this house for sale that nobody's living in. And it's got this dock and everything. We're like, all right, dude, like, it's perfect. We're going to go over here in the morning. And, like, I mean, we sort of, you know, had it, you know, everything works. It's like that thing that works at your house, and you're like, you know oh this works man but like you know we hadn't done it like where he like actually went live on the website so we're just hoping this thing works so matt and i roll over there the next day man and set up and everything and and we're sitting there you know live streaming you know goldbeck and shaw grigsby catching fish you know live real time on the internet and it's i mean it was so cool dude I mean, it was just like one of those moments where you're like, wow, this like really worked. You know, people are like watching on Basso live, live tournament bass fishing, right? It was a big deal, man. Yeah, and it was so cool because the, a lot of the residents there, I mean, they kind of caught wind of what's going on and then they're watching it inside (laughs) their house. And the next thing you know, like Matt and I are like, 
in lawn chairs. They're like grilling <laughs> hot dogs for us. I mean, we're just like chilling <laughs> out. It's like, you know, we're doing this cool thing and like all these people are into it and we're getting lunch and we're just, you know, enjoying perfect weather and like literally Grigsby's, you know, 15 feet away from us off this dock is jacking seven pounders on the bed. So that was, that was a pretty cool thing to be a part of, man. And that's 2011. Um, and man, we ran around chasing that for, man, I, I would say we probably did that for another, I would say five or six years, man, something like that. I mean, I think maybe the next year Bass ended up figuring out how to do the live stream thing, or maybe a couple of years after it was, that. I think 2014 was like when the like it really, really blossomed into a real deal that was like every tournament people were watching it, and uh, you know, it was yeah. a thing. Yeah. So like for three or four years after that, man, we were you know obviously we were going to every event anyway, but we were on the water every single day, just running around trying to find cell phone signal and. <laughs> like do these guys live and i mean i would love to see some of that stuff i'm sure mark you know has some of that stuff archived somewhere i'm sure it's just so rudimentary looking now um you know as far as like i mean you're literally have like a handy cam and a monopod you're trying to like zoom in on somebody like <laughs> get a little closer and i mean but some of the stuff that we witnessed on the water during that time man i mean i'd, I'd like to go back and revisit some of that stuff because you you see so much that, you know, a lot of it kind of becomes a blur. You don't really remember everything. But um, we did that, you know, once Bass got really cranking on the live stuff. And we kind of, you know, tapered off of that because those guys were doing such a great job with it. I mean, you can't compete with, um, you know, you're not in the boat with somebody. I and mean, that's a totally different thing when you're doing live in the boat versus, you know, live from 100 yards away. From a backyard that. barbecue. Yeah, from a backyard barbecue or whatever the case is. And I mean, and that's cool, man. I mean, because I mean, Matt would do such a great job um, with the commentary and description on that, too, man. I mean, so he's a natural dude. Yeah, dude. It was just kind of like, you know, seeing him kind of blossom um, and evolve um, into that role, right? I mean, because he was. You know, when he first started, he was kind of like what I was doing, right? He was like doing the camera stuff and this and that. And Harold was the main guy, you know, and he, you know, literally, you know, learned so much from Harold and then just kind of took, you know, the way Harold did things with the respect for the anglers and the respect for the sport and the history and everything involved and then just kind of put his own spin on it and then kind of, kind of have what, the, what has evolved now, man. Um, and, you know, once we, you know, we, we would always be coming up with some innovative way to cover the sport, right? I mean, even when we went away from the live streaming, it was, um, it was different things. I mean, you mentioned the, the Dean Rojas deal. Um, I was fortunate enough, man, when Dean first signed on with Gander Mountain, um, you guys remember that, that was kind of a big deal. That was, you know, one of the, you know, a different big box kind of retailer coming into the sport. Yep. Um, you know, Dean, Dean signed a signed a good deal with those guys, full boat wrap, truck, all that. It's kind of a cool deal. And and we came up with the idea to do the um well at the time we called Gander on tour, right? So I don't recall exactly what year that was. Um I, I think I think it was one like kind of one of the first years you were out there, Josh. 
Yeah, I remember there was a lot of overlap there uh, for for a couple of years, but yeah, like 2013 is when I started, so it had to have been in that 2012-2013 era for sure. Yeah, so I mean, and what our concept was there, and I feel like it was like that was another deal where it was kind of one of the first first um, you know renditions of this type of media, man. So the Gander on Tour concept was uh, we would basically follow Dean throughout the entire tournament, right? His prep, um, I would go out with him during the practice days, film all that, and then we would, you know, obviously film, like, if we saw him on the water, you know, during our coverage, we would get some of that stuff. We'd film, like, behind the scenes and then a wrap-up. You know, basically a a different, you know, not the equivalent production level and what those guys have going on now, but very similar to, you know, what you see, like, a Brandon Polinick and a Jake Wheeler and those guys doing that. Like a tournament so, vlog, dude, just the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, a, a tournament vlog. And I think they did have a – I think the, the earliest rendition of that, I do believe that they did kind of what they called like a Spro on tour. I think Spro got behind um, something like that pretty early on with Basson as well. I'm not sure – it definitely wasn't like on-the-water practice stuff, but it was kind of a behind-the-scenes tournament vlog. But, you know, we did that for I think four or five years, man, you know. How, and how was, was it riding in practice all day? Like, um, you know, was it, you're, you're, you're a tournament fisherman yourself. So like, but you couldn't fish clearly. You couldn't even, you know, uh, like you just kind of had to watch, man. Was it, was it boring or was it interesting watching him pick these places apart? I, I mean, you know, obviously I'd be lying if I said that there weren't days where there wasn't some boring, boring times or all sure. the man, you, know, the, you know, I wish the weather was better or whatever the case was, but uh, I mean, I looked at it as a huge opportunity to learn, right? Um, because at the same time I'm doing all this media stuff, just, you know, having the opportunity to be out on the Elite Series and, and see what these anglers are doing and then, you know, to be able to be in the boat with one of the best that's ever done it, you know, day in and day out on different fisheries and see how the guy breaks things down. I mean, I'm thinking, like, you know, all of this stuff, that I'm, you know, putting in my memory bank and learning, I'm going to be able to implement this into my fishing as well. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, That's cool. Yeah, man. I mean, it was just a huge learning experience. I mean, for both of us too, right? Because in those early days, I mean, you know, those guys that had cameras in the boat, but you're not, you know, you're out there trying to practice and stuff, right? So there's there's like a balance between trying to figure out, you know, okay, when to ask a guy to do an interview or, hey, give me an update and not be intrusive and interfere with what's going on in his practice, right? And there's also, you know, a lot of things that go into that as well. Like, you know, a guy may be, you know, using stuff that, you know, he may not want to let the cat out of the bag on, right? Even though we're not publishing that during the tournament where another competitor can see it. Just some stuff, hey, you guys are going back to a fishery, so let's not talk about this bait or let's not talk about this area or whatever sure. the case is. Right. Yeah. So well, that's, that's where you being an experienced angler really helps, man. Like it's uh, you know, anytime talking to media, you can tell when you're talking to a fisherman or you're talking to a non angler, you know what I mean? And uh, you know, there's, there's tournaments where you walk off the stage after the first day and the dude comes up and he's like, you know, uh, what time did you get your best bites and what were you using and what part of the lake were you in? And uh yeah. You're like, okay, uh, well, if you don't mind, I'll probably hold off on answering all those questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you would never ask that, dude. 
No, I mean, you obviously understand the protocol and what you guys are trying to do. And hopefully, I mean, I'm sure we all ask stupid questions, man. I mean, I'm sure I've asked some dumb questions where, gosh, like, did he really just ask me that, right? No way. But, you know, but hopefully, you know, you learn from that stuff. But, yeah, man, the the, the gander on tour stuff was awesome. Um, that was really cool to uh, to have an opportunity to be involved in that. Um which, you know, I feel like it's, it's kind of the jump off, man, for a lot of what you see today as far as guys, you know, taking it to that next level and actually, you know, hiring guys to come out and travel with them full time and document this whole thing and, and, and actually use that to, to, to get sponsorship dollars. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's nothing more raw than just kind of uh, being there through the entire thing and practice is like a, a, really big, a really big part of it, man. It's hard to wrap all that up you know, into just, just a little bit of footage from the tournament. Like a lot of uh, the week story unfolds off the water and, and before the tournament even starts. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, practice, I feel like, you know, a lot, a lot comes together in practice for sure. I mean, just seeing guys formulate their game plans. And what I learned a lot from you, man, is just like seeing like what not to do, right? Like the amount of things that you guys try that doesn't work, right? Yeah. And, and also what I thought was really eye-opening to me too, which you know, what I feel like really separates you guys on the professional level that a lot of amateur anglers could learn a lot from. I mean, dude, I was in the boat with Dean at numerous events where I'd ride with him two and a half days of practice. And I mean, he wasn't on anything. I mean, like, it, it, there was no, like, it was like, man, like, this guy's going to bomb. Like, I mean, he's not. You know, it's just not clicking like it's not happening, right? And then, the, you know, you get it away in and the guy would be leading the tournament or something, right? That's cool. So just seeing the ability that you guys have to, you know, kind of cliche, but fish the moment, right? And, and not, you know, not rely, put all your eggs in the basket of practice and be able to adapt and, and just kind of the mental fortitude, too, that you guys um, – have to be able to put that bad practice behind you and look at like you know you always hear it like oh well, i'm just gotta look at the first day of the tournament like a practice and make something happen i mean that literally is how it is sometimes for you guys so that was pretty eye-opening to you in, in my fishing to be like hey man if you have a bad practice or whatever like things can happen for you during the tournament just kind of totally keep it open mind and get out there and get after it right yeah what a confidence boost you're seeing knowing that that even a guy like Dean could go out there and struggle and practice, but, but also knowing that, Hey, it, that, that doesn't matter. Like it's all about what happens in the tournament and even, you know, maybe just one, one bite that you got in practice uh, tells you enough to, to have something to go on in the tournament or, or, or even like you said, just what you didn't see in practice, like ruling, ruling so much stuff out that, um, you know, maybe you don't get on the deal that you're going to use in the tournament, but it, it keeps you off all those the, those deals that you don't need to be doing, and you you do find the right thing during the derby. That is that is a great point. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I think another thing, man, that was kind of revealing to me about that is, I, I think a lot of your average fishing fans and anglers think that you guys have these secret baits and these magic things that you do and you just keep all this stuff to yourself which you know it's changed a lot obviously with live and everybody kind of being a little bit more forthcoming with what they're doing but man just to see how how simple 
a lot of the top guys were able to keep it. It was very eye-opening to me. Um, you know, I know everybody's different. I mean, if you get in, you know, the boat with like an Eric Martins, you know, and you look at his tackle selection, not you're super like, simple not there. Super organized, <laughs> but not super simple, right? But yes. you get in the boat with a guy like like a Dean Rojas, and, and you look at like the guy's tackle selection and stuff, and you're like, man, like he's, I mean, he keeps it very, very basic, right? Um, and it's like you've learned over the years what works for you and what doesn't. And it's like, you know, if I can do <clears throat> do a job with, you know, a hammer, like I'm not going to have, you know, four other variations of a hammer, right? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. So that was that was pretty cool. And, I mean, I know certain situations don't dictate that. you got to get a little bit more intricate with your tackle selection. And he obviously would. But just kind of seeing, like, you know, fishing your strengths and, and keeping it simple, man, that was another big lesson from, from being on board with him all those years. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, that makes sense. Every every fisherman has kind of a different a different system, but uh, that's worked for him extremely well, man, for a long time. That's cool. Yeah, man. So, you know, that kind of evolved. Um, I think you and I were talking about it. I think it was like, what was the first year that you guys had uh, the Bass Pro Tour? That's been was two years old now? Yeah, 2019. So we're go we're in the third year now. Yeah, so 2019, man, it kind of um, changed a little bit for us. Um, Matt and I, like I said, I mean, Matt, I think Matt started in, I think Matt started in like 2008 or 2009, and I started 2009, 2010, around that range. Um, you know, so he and I would go to every Elite Series tournament from that time on. Um, and once the, the tour split and the formation of the Bass Pro Tour happened, um, they kind of reevaluated, um, you know, how feasible it was for us to go to all the tournaments, right? Because now sure. you're, now you're like, because you know, for people that don't really understand how that concept works, um, you know, basically at the, at the time, Bassoon and and now, I mean, you know, they're supported by sponsorship dollars, right? I mean, that's how they make their money. Um, so you've got obviously sponsors who have anglers on both tours and at the time you know obviously the FLW tour as well so he had three different tours going on um and so our job at that point I mean yes we were covering the tournaments but a lot a lot of big part of us being out there at that time too was gathering content for these companies okay so you know we're like on site you know if, if you know you have a big win or something and I'm there to get you know a good trophy shot or behind the scenes interview or whatever the case is and that's going to go to your sponsor right so that kind of became almost like i can like say like an impossibility but not really a smart business decision right to have to go to now you're increasing like at least twofold the amount of events and the amount of this you know events you're going to have to go to and the amount of expense you're going to have to incur and also i think there's definitely some overlap so it's like what is Matt going to go to one event? I'm going to go to the other. So it just kind of came to a crossroads there to where they kind of got away from event coverage and really went full time with the Fast Talk Live podcast. And it's exploded. Yeah. It really seems like it's it's exploded, man. Yeah, Every, everyone listens to it. Absolutely. So that kind of you know put us at, at a deal where you know suddenly like man, you've been doing something for over a decade you're used to being at every single tournament and now you're kind of like well you know maybe you go to a tournament here or there so that kind of put me in a position to almost man just kind of you know rethink 
my position in the industry and kind of figure out a way forward um, you know, for myself because I had so much time invested in it and it really wasn't, you know, it's not feasible for me to necessarily be a consistent part of Bass Talk Live at that point because those guys are both based in Oklahoma. I'm out here in South Carolina and they're doing an in-studio show and kind of doing their thing. So I was kind of at a, at a crossroads, honestly, man, you know? Yeah. Like figuring out like, hey, do I want to go back to this music thing full time and, you know, kind of incorporate more of the photography stuff because I had really picked up the photography, um, you know, and learned a lot more about the photography through the bass fishing group, right? Yep. Um, so, you know, at that point, I'm like, man, you know, what am I going to do here? And it kind of just led to this kind of new path that I was able to kind of, uh, venture down in the industry at that point yeah so let's talk about best on tour man um it's i'll, I'll let you start like how, how do you come up with it and um you know where's it headed man i subscribe to it and i love getting the email every week man it's got some really interesting info in it yeah i appreciate that man for, for guys that don't know about it it's um it's called best on tour bass it's a uh, weekly newsletter it comes out every thursday uh 10.05 a.m central you can subscribe for free at www.bestontour.net um so man basically what ended up happening with that it, and it's it's kind of a cool story um you know you're, if you're in the industry, you're always on the phone with other people in the industry. Like, it just seems like that happens. You're always talking about all this, like, behind-the-scenes stuff and cool stuff and bouncing ideas off each other and trying to figure out, you know, what's next or what's going on with this situation, whatever the case is, right? So I was just, you know, in this network of, of people that were always talking about these things and, and kind of thinking, like, man, like, the idea just dawned on us, like, well, why aren't we talking to the public about some of this stuff, right? About I mean, there's some the stuff industry behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get into I mean, you know how it is, Josh. You hear, like, all these rumors and this, that, and the other. And, like, you know, that's not stuff that you're going to put out there publicly because, frankly, most of the time it ends up not being true anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, very true. <laughs> some yeah. Yeah. right? Oh, yeah. But it's like, you know, it's like, man, is there is there a need for a platform that you can – you know, kind of share some of the behind the scenes stuff and kind of give it more of a business perspective from the fishing industry. So I feel like there's a lot of stuff out there that deals with like tips and tactics, tackle, you know, whatever the case is. But, you know, if you go look at it from like a business perspective, I mean, you had things like, like the fishing wire and things like that, right? And fishing tackle retailer that a lot of industry people are aware of and subscribe to that, you know, there is some, some great content from those those companies for sure but a lot of it is you know press releases and things like that right so we just wanted to build something that um kind of gave a business perspective from all sides of the fishing business from like sales media from the anglers um and that's how we came up with best on tour man um and the idea there was was to really build this thing up before we, um, you know, kind of, kind of walk with it before we ran, right? Like I just didn't want to start something and just kind of, you know, be putting it out there and start, you know, looking for sponsorship dollars for it or whatever. So actually, man, we're, 
over a hundred um, issues in there. So, That's awesome. Yeah, it's been around for a while, man, and that was kind of the goal was just to build it up and build a following um, first and just kind of say, hey, this is what we have to offer um, and, and then kind of go from there with it. Well, I know it's taken off, dude. I know you've got, you know, a bunch of subscribers already. And if, if you're listening and um, and you don't subscribe, make sure you do. Like, it, it, it's interesting, too, because it's coming from a it's, it's coming from a fisherman's perspective. So, like, in just about every single week's issue, like, um, there's just something that I find really practical like, like really good practical knowledge as a, as a fisherman, like, and it's stuff that like, uh, you know, me personally, I don't take the time to break things down by the numbers, but, but Dave does that a lot. Like uh, he did in, in a recent one, like what's the, the difference in buying, what's the difference in cost per hook, depending on like how many hooks, what, what size pack you buy, whether it's a six pack a 25 pack or a hundred pack, like he breaks it down. You can see it's okay. It's, it's 15 cents a hook. If you, uh, buy a you know a six pack and blah 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 but that's just something i never took the time to to think about you know but there's just a lot of cool little uh, little tidbits um that that your average angler won't think about and then you see it on paper like that it's like wow that's interesting man i'm gonna i'm gonna keep that in mind next time i'm shopping yeah man we you know we definitely want to have a, a statistical focus um you know ways for anglers to save money as well and uh, you know help guys on and off off the water, you know, highlight unique products. And, and also, man, one of the big reasons too was I wanted to give, I wanted to give you guys another platform for exposure, right? Um, Which it has. Yeah. I think, you know, what you've seen over the years and, and it's understandable, right? Um, you know, when, when I first started this thing, there were several independent um, websites that covered tournament fishing. Um, that has really decreased. Um, in recent years i mean it's just you know i think guys have just kind of found other things to do in life and you know maybe the, the money wasn't there whatever the case is right but the ability for you guys to showcase your brand and your sponsors it it has increased on levels of like you know the major league fishing website or the bass website you guys you know there's more people watching that stuff now probably than ever but you know there's some limitations with that right Sure. Um, you know, if we're being honest about how the industry works, I mean, there's some sponsorship conflicts sometimes, right? Oh, Where yeah. you may want to get something out there that's a really great sponsor for you, but it may be a conflicting sponsor with one of the organizations. So, you know, they can't really put that out there for you, right? So, 100%. One of the big, big things that I was really wanted to do with Best on Tour was to give you guys an open platform. It's like, hey, man, like, you know, I've got some, some companies that are involved with Best on Tour, but, you know, I'm open to anything. Like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to not include a, a piece of content from you because it, 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 you know, involves a certain company, right? Like, as a matter of fact, like I welcome it, right? Like I want people to see in the, in the industry and outside of the industry, like what, what, what companies support you guys, right? Give you guys a platform to do that. And just felt like the, direct email platform is the way to go right now. Um, I, I know, you know, there's a huge, um, a huge focus on social media within the industry. It's been that way for several years now. But if you know much about social media at all, especially in, in recent times, I mean, 
man, it's harder and harder and harder to get your message out there on social media, right? It's, I mean, it's so volatile and the rules are always changing and uh, due to direct email, no one's going to ever take that away from you. Like you'll always be able to email everyone who you have their email address. And, and yeah, you're right, man. It's interesting to see how um, the algorithms and everything work on social media uh, to where, yeah, if, 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 if what you're putting out there, if you, if, if you're putting something on Facebook and it's got a link and out, an external link that's going to take you off of Facebook there and you post something not very, not very many of your followers are going to see that post because they don't want them being pulled away from Facebook. Yeah. And it's, it's changed over the years, right? So where, when that first, that stuff first started Instagram, Facebook, it was like a free advertising platform for a lot of guys. Um, and at some point Facebook and, and those companies made a decision to say, Hey, like, freeze over right like you're gonna have to pay us to you know for people to see your stuff and then based totally. on the amount you pay us is gonna determine how many people see your stuff right yep so I've, I've noticed with josh dude your tiktok is amazing man you do those little videos now where you're like bouncing around on the deck and then like the beat drops you know and then you like all of a sudden you have a crazy wig on and you're catching like a seven pounder and like i josh has always been on the forefront of stuff like that he's an inspiration in that way yeah man you'd be surprised this kind of stuff that josh is involved in man i got a, I got a crazy josh bertrand story yeah there we go hilarious no you don't really have one do you Oh, I got a pretty good one, man. Of course man. he does. I mean, it, really, it, it was on the, the cusp of happening. You'll remember it when I start telling it, man. So, <laughs> Josh, um, when Josh won his uh, Elite Series event at St. Lawrence River, um, you know, by that time, Josh had been out there a while, and Matt and myself were really tight with Josh and become good friends at oh, that yeah. point. And, and there was a – it was – I think it was like, it was, yeah, it was kind of like, it was the last year that all of, you know, right before the major league fishing thing started and there was a little buzz about that. And there was a, a really sweet, nice uh, lady out there that was doing a story for the New York Times. I remember that. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 So, you know, I mean, it was, you know, like full professional press mode, right? Like she had like, you know, photographer with her and whatever. And I mean, you know, she's looking at like Panger and I, like we're, you know, like legitimate professional media, which could be so much, you know, nothing could be further from the truth, right? <laughs> we're just out there acting like a bunch of idiots. So, but um, Josh was the deal. And at the time, you know, I'm, you know, was helping Josh do some stuff and Panger obviously wanted to get some, some things. So, you know, kind of everything dies down and we're waiting around waiting for Josh to do his interviews with Bass and stuff at the time. And we just start thinking about like, you know, we, we just, you know, always try to keep the light out there and it come up with stuff. And I don't know how it even came up. Right. But we decide that we're going to tell this New York times uh, reporter that they're like, Hey, you know, like, you seem just like, we know you need to do stuff with Josh, but, um, you know, we got to get this thing done. You know, it's this thing that, that happens to every you know, first-time champion on the Elite Series. And, you know, go get your cameraman because, you know, this is something you probably want to document. And she's just, like, all in. She's like, what are you going to do? And there's, like, this, this, uh, this like, porta potty deal behind the stage, right? And so we go get, like, these zip ties. And I've got, like, the zip ties. The hangers selling the whole thing. And he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, we call it the champion's baptism. So what oh. we do is we do this deal where 
you know, we, we, we tell them we're going to do this story idea called from like from the outhouse to the penthouse. And we get him to like go in the portalette, like this kind of stage where he's coming out with the big trophy. We take a picture and do everything. And when he's when they're in there, man, we just slam the door shut and zip tie it and turn the portalette over. And <laughs> so and she's buying this thing like hook, line, and sinker, dude. And she's like, well, you know, I just had dinner with, with Brandon Pollock and did this whole interview and asked him about like traditions and things. And he never talked about it. We're like, well, you know, no, nobody ever talks about it. Cause you they don't can't want talk about the next it. Guy. You can't it's like talk Fight Club, it, right? Yeah, you can't talk about it, right? So at the time, like uh, Joel Shangle, who, who works for Major League Fishing now, was out there too. And we got him in on the thing and he's selling it. I mean, oh my gosh, dude. Everybody's selling it, right? And like, you know how it is after events. I mean, Josh is busy. And, and I think, I think we even, I, I think we definitely at some point like put you onto it as well. And you're like, dude, you just won a hundred grand and you know, a big tournament. You're just like, I don't even think it'll register with you. You're probably thinking like, what are these idiots talking about? You know, <laughs> I, I remember her there. asking me like, is this true? Like, are they, are they right. messing with me or is this real? Yeah. Right. So, so, I mean, we sell this thing the whole time, man. It's like she's, and I think at the point she had, she may have, I think she already got, yeah, she had already gotten like what she needed from me because we just kind of deferred to her and we're like, hey, you know, we're here, we're good, just go get what you want. And I remember they did all this stuff with you. And I remember her just like sticking around, sticking around. And she would get a little further away, but like the cameraman was like right next to her. <laughs> and <laughs> it was just like, and they I waited. mean, she was just, so like yeah and then we just like finished up with you and i remember just like leaving the parking lot and her just like well what happened and we're just just like no soul yeah that was pretty funny story that was a little good payback you guys did on her because i remember i remember everyone was patiently waiting and uh you're right you let them go first and then they took like an hour um so you guys yeah, were all dude, just sitting I, there waiting for like an hour like to like you all had like 30, 30 second little sound bites you needed. And, and right. uh, they ended up taking like an hour, dude. So that was, that was a little payback, but that was funny. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And I mean, I, and, and, and what that article actually ended up turning out really well. Man. I mean, it did, did a great, great job in the article. It was, it was cool to have that exposure in, in a di- on a different platform, which you normally wouldn't hear anything about bass fishing, right? It yeah. was. Yeah. She did her research, dude. Like she had talked to a lot of people and it was a pretty in-depth article about the business of, of fishing it, 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 for someone who she had never, never touched a fishing rod in her life, dude. She, she had knew nothing Suffice about fishing. Suffice to say she'd never been tipped over in a porta potty holding a trophy. Yeah. And that was the thing. That was the thing, Nick. Like we, Matt and I, when that thing came out, we were just reading, I was just, you know, so and reading that thing with such anticipation being like, you know, Bertrand escaped the champion's basses. <laughs> <laughs> he apparently didn't have to go to the bathroom right very bad. I was hoping it would have been in there, but it wasn't. But I remember that, man. It was pretty cool because, I mean, you know, obviously this kind of goes back to one of those deals, man. It's like you're out there and, you know, there's a level of respect for, for your fellow journalists. Um, and, you know, they're there from the New York Times. And you're like, hey, you know, like we're here all the time. Like, you know, give them their time. Let them do what they want. But. It was funny. I remember and Josh saying that. I remember, like, you know, they had Josh like posing and it's like all these nice. perfect shots, and he's over there by this 
oak tree or something with this moss and just like i'm just like they have a fan I, blowing his hair nicely as he's yeah, like it was, it was like one of those deals where i'm sure <laughs> it's like an hour-long interview and like 400 photos for like one photo but new york times bro I know, right? So, so we're in the presence of somebody who's been featured in the New York Times. Man. That's, That's cool. in the glow. Dave, do you have yeah. any memorable interviews over the years that you can use the name? You don't have to use the name of the person you were interviewing. Any, any ones that crazy interviews, anything like that? Uh, and I think like, I wouldn't say crazy. I mean, you, you know, you would kind of get to learn these guys' personalities, right? Um, the first few years I was out there, I probably asked a lot of questions to people that I was never going to get an answer from. <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, there's some yeah. guys. Now that you know the people, you're like, yeah. Yeah, never absolutely. Told me. And like, like Josh, you know, touched on earlier, probably asked some stupid questions, right? Um, but just kind of getting to know the guy's personalities um, and knowing like, okay, like, well, I'm not going to get much from this guy. He's, you know, this is how he is during the tournament. He's not going to talk about stuff. So just kind of rolling with it from there. Um, so I never had, I never had a situation where I felt, you know, disrespected or an angler, you know, wasn't respectful of what we were trying to do out there because I think most guys recognize that, you know, at the end of the day, we're trying to help, help them have more exposure. Right. Right. It's a little different than a regular sport, uh, like a baseball players or football players where I'm, I'm sure the stories with those guys would be crazy. Yeah. And I mean, I think one of the things that Matt and I, and, and we actually, kind of we actually developed a um kind of a story idea or kind of one of the features we had for a while that was called like what went wrong right so we would go and and it was it was a product the product of kind of what you just touched on rob was we always wondered like man it just always seemed like it was just off limits to talk to a guy about why he sucked right Right. it's just like if you know somebody came in and they just had a horrible day it's like it was just a protocol man none of the journalists would go up and say man like you know, what happened how did the wheels fall off like, you know, why did you suck so bad that is right? very interesting though i mean whereas, I bet that'd be more interesting than the dude that was in first place right whereas like what rob was saying is like you know if, if lebron goes out and, and goes two for 30 from the field i mean the journalists are like over it, right? No kidding. Like, yeah, you know, right. What, what's the problem? Were you out all night? Like, you know, what's the deal, right? It was just kind of fishing. It was like this unwritten rule of like, oh, he had a bad day. You can't talk to him, right? Don't look at him. <laughs> you know, Seriously. which was, it's kind of weird. Like, I just never understood it. So the way we kind of did the work around, because, you know, to be totally honest with you, I mean, part of it was Matt and I did, you know, we wanted to ask this question, but you don't want to ask this question because, you know, you're like, Burn a bridge or something. Yeah, you don't want to burn a bridge, right? So we developed a deal that was called What Went Wrong. So we would get with somebody like finished in the hundreds, right? After the tournament, we'd give them a day or two to, you know, (laughs) decompress and figure it out. But it's kind of what Josh was, you know, touching on. It's like we determined, like, man, you can learn so much from what didn't go right. You know, and a lot of times you can learn more from that than you can from what did go right. So that that led to some really interesting um, content for a while. But it always seemed like the stuff with uh, with Bassoon, you know, 
Mark Jeffries kind of being an innovative kind of hyperactive guy in that regard, um, it's always like what's ne- what was next, right? So anytime we would come up with something that was like a good idea, it'd be, you know, we'd roll with it for two or three months and kind of be on to the next thing. Keep it fresh. Yeah. That yeah, is interesting. It. I'm going to have to look, go back and see if I can't find some of that, dude. It, it yeah, man, good. some of that stuff, um, you know, it's just like I was saying with like the live stuff. I mean, I, I think when they changed the website and stuff, man, they didn't archive all that stuff online. Yeah. So much, there was so much, so much cool stuff, man. Like, um, one of the cool things we used to do was in the house, which was that was awesome. Kind of, yeah, like that version. It was like a play off of MTV Cribs, right? <laughs> and, you know, so like you'd go to like these anglers' house and um and and kind of do you know behind the scenes of how they're living and stuff. And in the early years, man, they had some really cool ones. They did. Uh, I wasn't involved in that one, but they did when they went out to California. They did skeet. Um, you know, early skeet stuff. Um, they did swindle. Uh, Matt and I did uh, did Boyd Duckett. That was pretty cool. Kind of give you an inside insider's look inside the Duckett compound. So all that stuff is, you know, just kind of innovative, man. Which you know, it kind of like I said. I mean, that stuff would breed something else. It kind of breed like you know whatever they have now, like what anglers man caves or you know. Yeah, hundred percent. Like that, just taking little, just taking little pieces from other walks of life and putting it in the fishing industry. And I think that's something that I still try to do now, right? I try to not keep, you know, all my concentration in the fishing industry. I try to at least, you know, get out and network with people, you know, around town that may be involved in like fashion industry or wedding industry or, or something different man. just to like you know because i often feel like the fishing industry is two to three years behind on some things that are going on it takes probably a while. is yeah it takes a while for things to kind of work their way into the fishing industry and i'm not sure why um exactly but you know it's, it's always good to kind of kind of broaden your horizons man and get out there and see some different things um try to incorporate them into the fishing industry and that that was part of kind of with the best on tour stuff right um i subscribe to a lot of you know business emails and things like that which were direct to consumer marketing um and it seems like and that just seems like the way to go and that's what we're trying to do with the best on tour um, just to kind of circle back to the social media and the youtube stuff that every, everybody's doing i mean it's 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 really great and uh, the only thing I can equate it to, though, is like, you know, you, you in the music industry, you're starting to see more and more people talking about owning their masters, right? And there are not as many physical album sales. A lot of these artists that are making a ton of money and are very popular right now are direct to consumer. I mean, they, huh. they are streaming their music, right? Mm-hmm. So... I mean, at the end of the day, man, do you own? I mean, you don't own the YouTube stuff, right? Yeah. Like, if you if YouTube went away tomorrow, you're you're done. If that's what yeah, your whole you, deal is, yeah, right. Yeah. If YouTube goes away tomorrow, you're done, right? And then you're in reality, the fine print. They probably own every bit of that content. Could do whatever they want. Because you right? uploaded it. Yep. Because you uploaded it, right? Um, you know, the direct to consumer thing is you own that, right? Very it's interesting. Yeah. Great topic, point, man. You know? Good way to 
That's to cool. To get your message out to people, man. And, um, you know, we're really happy with things, how things are going. Um, and we actually, man, so we decided to sponsor Matt Pangrag this year and um, wrap his boat, man. So we've got the best That's on sick. tour wrap. Yeah, we've got the best on tour wrap out on, uh, out on all nine opens this year. And, you know, Matt's going to do a great job representing us and that was just kind of a no-brainer man i mean we've had such a long-standing relationship matt and i and, and he has always been um, a huge proponent man if you ever follow those guys is you know everybody refers to him as like oh matt's like the next ken duke which i don't know if he's on that level if you've ever been around ken duke that, that's just a different level of, of statistician right? it's a, dude i was on a podcast with ken a couple days ago and um he starts rattling stuff off like, like the uh, the nineteen eighty nine classic comes up, and he's like, "Yeah, and so and so." Well, actually, yeah, he he used three different baits, but on the second day, you know, he caught a key fish on that jig. He actually caught a six nine largemouth that called a, a two eleven and gave him, you know, a three pound lead over so and so. But ultimately, you know, so and so ended up. But he he remembered the pounds and ounces of the fish. Then like, the call. <laughs> I, I was like, that's just unbelievable. He like, knew yeah. the jig was a five eights. Correct. <laughs> yeah. So crazy. No, like, that's not even a joke. I'm sure he probably knew how many strands of like brown <laughs> right. versus black rubber. But no, Ken is is and you know a lot of I think Ken probably has like a photographic memory with a lot of stuff like that. And and you you know a lot of people you meet like that are kind of one trick ponies right they're like savants in that nature they they that's all they do but ken is so well-rounded man he's just very knowledgeable in a wide array of subjects but just mind-blowing when it comes to bass fishing history <laughs> and statistics but um yeah so matt has always tried to kind of bring in statistical and kind of um that perspective into bass fishing so it was just a good fit man he's actually going to be um contributing some content to um kind of behind the scenes um you know from things he sees on the open and he has a really great eye for that stuff. Oh, yeah. so be on the lookout for that i mean matt's gonna gonna give you guys some some stuff that you probably wouldn't get to see otherwise so we're really happy about uh, about having him involved with it as well Awesome. It'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. It's a perfect, perfect fit. Like you said. Um, well, dude, Hey, we've had you for an hour and a half, basically. Uh, do you guys have any, and thank you very much for yeah. your time and dude, it was an awesome interview. Uh, I, we got to have you back on and, and, uh, yeah, do a wedding podcast. Oh, and yeah. yeah, we didn't even talk Santee Cooper. So we'll talk <laughs> Santee Cooper and more weddings. I, there's a lot more there that we want to, that yeah. we want to hear. <laughs> Good. Yeah, well, I, who knows what you want to hear there? Oh, we want it all. All I can think of is it's the Catalina wine mixer, dude. Like when you're talking about your wedding era, I could just see like stepbrothers, like you rocking the Catalina wine mixer. So, 2.0 to be continued for sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. Definitely some fun times at those things, and some some <laughs> very stressful times as well, man. Yeah, I bet. Well, dude, yeah. Hey, thanks again so much, and uh, look forward to you know. Hopefully, I'll get to see you when I'm back east at some point this year. And uh, again, make sure everyone go. You go subscribe to Best on Tour. Go to what, bestontour.com or .net. 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 That's why. Right okay, I was close to getting on there already. So <laughs> yeah, cool. so you know, we're not going to go to .net once a week. And um, you know, feel free to email us there, man. If anybody's got any uh, content ideas or questions, I'm always open to uh, you know include stuff. It doesn't. We actually have a um, 
a section in there called recommendations. So, you know, anybody's got any cool, like, local tackle shops or products, you know, hit me up, man. I'm always looking for stuff to uh, throw in there. Nice. That's turn cool. On products. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. Well, awesome, man. Uh, we'll let you get to it, but hope you have a, a great rest of your Sunday. And uh, as always, thanks to the listeners for tuning in. Um, we'll be back at you all next week. Thanks, guys. We'll see you later. See ya.